but I think that piece about giving them the the giving them the reins and knowing how to do that. Starting up is always difficult because nobody really knows what they're doing. <laughs> and then as the students um, and the teens start to understand that yes, that what they are asking for will happen because they're asking for it and the adult leaders can just gradually step back. So it's interesting and fun to see, you know, to see the, the kids step up. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the Past Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I'm excited to talk with another great set of innovators in the transformative education space. And today we are going to be talking about the Teen Science Cafe program as a positive disruptor and how we think about the concept of what is school, what is education, and why does it all matter. And joining us today uh, is Katie Amon and Carolyn No, who have both been longtime um, participants, leaders, guides, mentors, you name it. Uh, they've been involved with the Teen Science Cafe for a number of years. So ladies, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. Excellent. And um, just to set a little bit of context for our listeners who might not be familiar with the Teen Science Cafe, it is a free out-of-school time sets of programs where teen leaders, adult leaders, and STEM experts collaborate on presentations and hands-on activities which explores science topics in depth. And one of the awesome things about, and there are many awesome things we're going to get into, um, about the Teen Science Cafe is that they're all led by teens for teens. And so it's just super, super wonderful. And they're completely tailored to the communities in which these cafes um, exist. So I'm not sure who would like to start. Katie, maybe that's you. But, you know, really give our listeners who may not be familiar, sort of the 100,000 foot overview about when did this thing start and why? What was the impetus for this? Well, that was quite a while ago, actually. We're, we're in our 15th year of the Science Cafe Network. Um, it started, it really started back in the early 2000s when they were doing Science Cafe programs over in Europe. And they, uh, at that point, they were adult programs and they, people would meet in casual places like cafes or bars and listen to scientists talk about their research. And that idea came over to the United States um, and sort of landed in the museum world. It started, it was in universities, and then the museum world embraced it. And that is when the founder of our um, Teen Science Cafe Network and the whole model for teens started because Michelle Hall, who is in New Mexico now, uh, she and a collaborator, Michael Mayhew, said, this is working so well for adults and people are so, it's such a beautiful combination of a social uh, program combined with the science. Why, it'd be perfect for teens. And they had that idea. 
And that was back in 2007 or so um, to start it, the first program in New Mexico. And so they established a few cafes there and then started thinking about, let's take this nationwide because this is really working. And that is really that like the start of it was back around 2007 and eight. And um, here we are now, they're all across the United States in every state almost. Um, and as you said, they're, they're adaptable to all sorts of communities and situations. So that's, yeah, that's a re- very high altitude. <laughs> look exactly, back exactly. But they're, they're really, really so wonderful. And they're wonderful things for collaborative sets of partners to get involved with. So Carolyn, um, help us sort of understand sort of how then you tapped into this ecosystem of cafes and programs and what does the work look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I was actually part of the first cohort of teen cafes that were expanded beyond New Mexico when I worked at the Academy of Science of St. Louis. And when I was there, we established the cafe program uh, in partnership with our Junior Academy of Science. So we already had this group of students who were interested and invested in STEM, um, and we drew our leaders from, from that group. And then from there, we started hosting cafes, working with our partners in the community. Um, after that, I moved to Cincinnati, and I now work for the Northern Kentucky University uh, at the Institute for Health Innovation. And I love the program so much in St. Louis that I brought it here to uh, the greater Cincinnati area. We currently have about six cafe sites uh, in the Northern Kentucky rural community primarily, uh, and one in an urban community. Wow, that's remarkable. So Katie, do you see that frequently or not uncommon that somebody will experience a cafe one place, find that their life takes them someplace else, and then suddenly they want to be involved or, and whether they're starting one or just tapping into one that's existing, I would assume that there's a lot of passion. It's a lot of volunteers, right, who make all of this work. Those are individual as well as professional passions at play. And I would assume that you bump up against that an awful lot. Absolutely. Uh, people love these programs and they, um, just like Carolyn, you know, move and bring it to another place. We have one example that's, that's even beyond that. We had a woman who was an um, uh, adult leader and had led a, a successful cafe and then changed jobs and is working for um, a nonprofit in Alabama that, and that nonprofit is for environmental education And so they get, so she has been able to um, get donations that come to that nonprofit and provide stipends for cafes in Alabama. So it's not, it's, it's doing cafes, supporting cafes. It's really something that people take on as, as a love and they want to, because they see what happens with the teenagers and the energy that it all, you know, it's just a perfect recipe. It's a perfect recipe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, Carolyn, talk with us a little bit about the starting of 
a cafe, right? So you'd had the experience before in St. Louis. I don't know if you started that that particular sort of endeavor or not, but the, clearly you've started numerous. So talk to us a little bit about what that process looks like, because I can imagine as we're having the conversation and, and Katie, we're going to dig into some of the more programmatic sort of elements here in a second. But I, I know folks are sitting back there going, well, this is really, really cool, but how hard is it, right? Can I do it in my community? How do I tap into this network and actually then craft something that is powerful for, for students in my community? Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing about having been at two different locations is the experience was vastly different at each place. So at the Academy of Science, there was already this built-in group of students who were passionate and ready to go to lead the cafes. So starting it and recruiting youth leaders was uh, an easier ask for those students. The limitation that we had at the Academy of Science is we didn't really have our own venue. So the challenge for us there was finding a venue every month we had the funding to, to buy some pizza. Uh, we already had an established network of presenters who were very willing and happy to help us out and a really robust way of uh, sharing the information out to the community. When I came to Cincinnati, uh, I was the second hire at the organization where I work. So everything I did was completely from scratch. We didn't have a built-in group of students already interested in STEM. Um, I worked at a college, so I had to really go out into the community and start establishing those relationships. We had really uh, intentional partnerships in particular counties where we had federal grants. So we leveraged some of those relationships that had already been established to help start some cafe programs. But honestly, I find that you really just have to find one passionate person at each location. One of our most successful cafes is at a small rural school, and we have an alumni from NKU who's there, and she teaches science, and she wants the kids to go to NKU. She wants them to get interested in science. So you really just have to look at, you know, what do you already have established that you could leverage? What aspects are going to be more challenging for you? Working at a university, I have a lot of presenters that I can ask to come out, but you may be in a community where you, you can ask the, um, you know, the electrical company to come out and talk. My cafe here in, in Northern Kentucky is themed. So we do health cafes which does limit us a little bit more. And particularly during COVID, we struggled with finding healthcare professionals who were even available. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. They were otherwise <laughs> occupied. Yes. Uh, so I definitely recommend keeping it as, we try to keep it as broad as possible. We've had yeah. dogs come in, you know, vets, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So those, those are some of the challenges. Those are some of the, um, but I, you know, I also found that we had assets already right. that we could leverage. Right. Yeah, definitely makes it easy or easier, I should say. So Katie, you know, as we're talking about the network and the, all of the amazing things that the network provides back, you know, into the sort of collaborative effort that ultimately becomes this series of cafes, let's talk just a little bit about some of the particular support. So you talked about training for the mentors and you talked about 
um, you know, work tied specifically to even like making sure the scientists, how do you vet them and those types of things. If you sort of step back and think about the greatest value add, since this is so successful and since so many places and it's so customized, what's, what is it, what are the one or two things that you think that the network is providing that's the most important elements? I mean, Things don't spread if they don't work. And this works. So what is it that the network is doing to ensure the success of this, I guess? I really think that it's networking. <laughs> it's people knowing that they're not alone doing this program uh, somewhere, you know, in a, say in a rural area. We, we provide a way for them to know what's happening around the country and they feel part of a, a bigger thing. And we um, we are forming affinity groups so that people can uh, say if, if there are cafes in rural areas, different rural groups can talk about the things that are hard for them there or easy or new ideas or urban groups. We have science cafes that are working in 4-H. We have them working in after school, in museums, and every one of these sectors or, or groups of have different things that work where they are. <laughs> so that's a really important thing that I think that the network gives the members. And also uh, we are establishing a way for people to just online see what other cafes topics are across the country and then perhaps share the experts virtually. And we've had, because of COVID now virtual talks are not, you know, they're normal and kids can have a virtual expert and then still have the social, have a hybrid cafe. If you don't have the expert that knows, you know, locally about a topic that the teens want to hear about, then you can bring one in virtually. So it's, I think that flexibility has increased the popularity of it as, as well. Um, so yeah, and the support, let's see, the other things that, I mean, people, Groups are now finding out about us so that they can contribute and we can then contribute to the network that way, financially and every other way. So I think that's that's what we are. We and we're helping people be, start cafes and learn about them so that, you know, a lot of people have never heard of it before. And that's another thing that we do is try to get the word out. So I appreciate yeah. us being able to be on this podcast. Oh, no, absolutely. It's like I, I mentioned, you know, when we, um, you know, first met and got started here um, with our conversation in my own work, you know, I bumped up uh, against um, some of the cafes in a number of different locations uh, over over several years. And what I love about each of them is how individualized they are, how tailored they are to the community in which they've been embedded. And I think that that's critically important. A, it's critically important to the to the teens who are participating because it it resonates that you know that they're they're being seen, right? This is not a program that I'm going to and things are being done to me. Um, and so, Carolyn, I want to sort of dig in on that a little bit because I do think that that's one of those really powerful pieces. And because you are currently running so many of these, help the listeners really understand that process piece. So what does what does a cafe actually look like? And I understand they're, they're different everywhere and there's no two are ever going to be alike. But just give us an example. Uh, like, how is a topic chosen locally by a group of your kids? And then once the topic's chosen and it moves forward, what does it look and feel like to the participants? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. They look different every single time. 
Um, mm-hmm. the, for us right now, uh, we have established a youth advisory board. So we have students from each of the locations come and share their perspectives. And then they tell us what topics they'd like to hear about. The way that we've structured our cafes is they're only once a semester uh, in our rural communities. We're competing against football, other sports. Um, If they're involved in Teen Cafe, they're probably involved in about 20 other things in their community. Um, So what we've done is whatever topic they're most interested in, we try to find a speaker who's going to come out and talk to them about that. We also ask the students to do all of the marketing. So they're telling their peers about it, what they think is going to happen, why they're excited about it. They choose the food for our rural communities. They really want stuff they can't get in their community. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's like, oh, we don't have this. So we want exactly, exactly. Um, So it makes them feel like they have a lot of choice, but also like, it's a really special event for them. And then they introduce the speaker, they pick out the raffle prizes, they pass out the surveys at the end, they help the speaker choose a, a raffle winner. So they're really involved in like the actual running of the cafe as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. So definitely gives kids a lot of um, voice um, and autonomy in the space that they're doing. So it, it's really intriguing to me how how different the frequency of these are going to be. And it makes sense. It's very, very localized. But I'm also um, really curious about sort of student student time on target, I guess, if you will. One of the things that research tells us is that you know, students spending time with high quality mentors, including near peer mentors, we know how incredibly important that this is, really does in fact make a huge difference. So do, is there the potential out there um, for the Teen Science Cafe to really sort of have an impact in that space? And either one of you can answer this question. I could imagine how it can. I recognize that it has to be different in every location because the circumstances are so different. But I'm really, really wondering about that persistence piece and how something like this can be a powerful motivator for those students who are participating. I've always seen the youth board, the the teen leaders, as getting that persistent intervention. The students who come to the cafes, they may just come to one out of all the ones you ever offer, but the youth leaders are the ones who are staying engaged. That's one of the ways that, that we're focusing our program is really on the youth leaders and then them providing that cafe experience for their peers that one time. But the youth leaders will meet more frequently than that and have other opportunities to engage with um, our offerings, with things that are happening in their community. Well, I'm thinking about the students that that come. Um, one of the things that we try to emphasize is that the diversity of students that can be attracted to these programs and students that 
might not even like science. <laughs> I always think that's really interesting. They're coming, it's a social event and they're connecting that way. And the frequency is different in different places um, depending on that, like what's happening in those programs. So there are some places that, you know, like Carolyn's will meet once a semester. There are others that use these, have the uh, teen leadership groups meet one, you know, they meet every two weeks. Once they meet and then two weeks later, they will have the cafe that they plan during the first meeting. So um, there's that. There's just a lot of variety there in the way that it's handled. But I think that piece about giving them the, the, giving them the reins and knowing how to do that. Starting up is always difficult because nobody really knows what they're doing. <laughs> and then as the students uh, and the teens start to understand that, yes, that what they are asking for will happen because they're asking for it. And the adult leaders can just gradually step back. So it's a, interesting and fun to see, you know, to see that the kids step up you know, this is mine. This is our program. And we're curious about these things. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that element. I'm, I'm curious. Um, and, and again, either one of you um, can answer this question, but it's, it's a, it's a wonderful program and it's complex because it's, in so many places, that, and again, we've said this numerous times now, because it looks so different in each place. But I'm really curious about sort of, because you've both been at this for so long, what what are the and the pitfalls? You know, it's, it's not always beautiful, and it's not always smooth. Um, and I think it's fair to own that as part of the beauty of the program, right? You've learned so much over the years that it's been going on. I'm really curious about what are what are what are the things that you've learned that you think are necessary for somebody going in, you know, thinking about starting this endeavor in their own community. What what do you wish, for example, that either one of you um, in your early days going with this wish you had known or had done differently? Well, I, I think that because every location is so different, the the biggest pitfall is you know, not paying attention to your specific area's needs. So we kept doing the model where you would have uh, a cafe three times a semester. And what ended up happening is we would have one really well-attended cafe each semester. And then we would have some where no one showed up, not even the youth leaders, um, because they were at a track meet or at Model UN or whatever they were involved in. And we had some presenters who were really disappointed in that. Um, and it also kind of soured our relationship in certain departments because they were telling their peers, like, I went and no one was there. So why should I drive all the way down to, you know, Pendleton County? Um and we ignored that for a little while. Um, and I think that can be a pitfall for people um, just to not take in that information and then make new decisions about it. Well, especially in this time, you know, COVID affected the way teens think about school. You know, the, 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 there's been some reports that from different cafes that the, the participation was just a little off because 
they were the teens weren't involved in a lot of different things. It was sort of just like getting back into the the sink of it. So it's sort of what Carolyn's saying is just be observant of what's happening around in your area with the teens and be able to say, okay, it's not the ideal right now. What are we going to do about this part of it? Or, you know, why is it that they didn't go to this one and they went to that one and it and change and not think that it has to be just like the model that you learned when you first started out, you know, because it's going to evolve over, over years after you've, you've had it. Um, yeah. I think that's it. Just be observant about what's happening with the teenagers around you in, in, it's not just your program, their whole life is, you know, going on and, and you're going to have to, to fit into it. <laughs> yeah, part. absolutely. Absolutely. We always have to be mindful uh, about that and, and create with and co-create um, with deliberation, right? Um, I absolutely. Um, you know, I always like to close the program recognizing that folks are sitting back in the world, listening to this conversation, and they're imagining themselves doing that thing. And so we've talked about some of the process pieces, and we've even talked about, you know, some of the things that you wish that you had known. But if you're sitting back there just sort of on the fence about, hey, should I do this thing? Do you, is my community ready for this? Um, you know, um, Carolyn, what would you tell that person? I would say that there's not enough youth leadership focused in STEM right now. It's a lot of STEM. There's a lot of push towards STEM. But to give students this opportunity to lead it is so unique and so special um, that I say just go for it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you very much for that. Katie, same question to you. What do you tell that person? That this is a program that's going to help your teens see themselves in the future and that that is worth it all. <laughs> all, all the hurdles, they, they're going to see role models that there have been, you know, we have quotes of kids that say, I never even knew that that career existed. Right. So you're opening their world up with this program and they and they're showing you the way. So <laughs> it's just uh, I think that's what it is. That's why why you would want to start it in your area, because that's what the, that age group needs right now, especially right now with how complicated the world is. So. Ab ab absolutely. I love that so much. And the world is incredibly complicated right now. And we need their voices and we need them to learn to be active participants in our global society. And what a wonderful way to do that um, than the Teen Science Cafe. So um, ladies, um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Have this conversation with us. We are greatly appreciated and uh, super excited about the work that you are both doing. So thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.